for us. I think we're probably okay to start. We might have a couple others pop in with us. Um, okay. I think we'll probably get going if that works for you. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm curious to, to see if I can hear the, the other folks in the room other than you, Adam. Um, that, that would be good. Yeah. So our only audio source is here. So I don't know if a few folks want to say. Some stuff. How are you, sir? Happy okay. Great. I hear everyone really, really clearly. So perfect. All right. Uh, and you guys can see my screen? Yep. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much for um, taking the time to, to come and um, participate and provide some, some feedback um, on this study. So um, we're currently in the midst of a, a route redesign study. So that obviously impacts you guys directly. And we kind of consider all of you the eyes and ears of the transit systems, um, both for KU and Lawrence Transit. So we're really interested to, to hear what you have on your minds. So we'll start with just a little bit of background information that maybe you guys have been following along, maybe not, but um, most of you know that Lawrence Transit and the, and the University of Kansas have been working you know, pretty closely together for, for a number of years um, to ensure that the two systems kind of work together, complement one another, um, uh, work pretty seamlessly in some cases with the coordinated routes. Um, they, you know, put out a joint uh, uh, transit guide so, so people have access to all the transit information um, in the community um, in one place. So the ridership uh, of the two systems was about 3 million passengers before coronavirus hit. Um, obviously, that's been down you know, in the past year or so because of the pandemic, but hopefully it'll return to uh, previous levels or higher going forward. Um, one really key difference that's going to be coming along, you know, fairly soon is the new uh, transit center that's being uh, designed and built at Bob Billings Parkway and Crestline Drive. So that's going to have the impact of reducing maybe the role of downtown Lawrence as, as a key uh, hub. It'll still be a hub, um, but maybe a bit less so than, than it has been historically. Um, but this new transit center does mean that we do need to start thinking about how we maybe re reorient the system to serve that new hub, um, how the hub can complement the route network and how the route network can complement the hub. So the, the goals of this study um, for us, so, so I guess I, I didn't really introduce myself. I probably should have. I don't know how much Adam has told you guys already, um, but uh, my name is Boris Palchik and I'm the project manager for this study. Um, I'm with a consulting company called Foursquare, Foursquare Integrated Transportation Planning. We do transit studies like this all over, all over the country. Um, and Rebecca Slocum, who's on the call as well, is um, also working on this project with me. Um, Rebecca is taking some notes today and she'll be doing kind of this cool thing later on where um, as you guys provide feedback, you'll be able to see some of your comments um, on the screen in real time. So anyway, the goals for the study are to analyze the existing system. Um, and the, what we hope to do is identify the strengths and the weaknesses of what's out there today, and also identify opportunities for improving the service and potentially expanding the service. Um, so the improvement recommendations are gonna be focused both on improving just the overall system efficiency, and then also, as I mentioned, ensuring a, a smooth transition, smooth integration of the new uh, transfer facility at Bob Billings Parkway. Um, as we go through this study, we're going to be not only looking at the types of services that you have 
currently, but also considering some new approaches to transit service. Um, in recent years, uh, all of you know that Uber and Lyft have, have really you know, come on the scene strongly. And there are some other types of services that are sort of similar to that called microtransit. And we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. Um, but we will be looking at innovative approaches to um, improve mobility in, in the study area. Um, and then we'll, we'll also be exploring the possibility of, you know, what happens if Lawrence Transit goes fare-free, um, what the implications are of that uh, for, in, in terms of the services that you, you can pr continue to provide and, and, and so on. So um, that's kind of in the background as well. All right, so our, the approach here for us is to, to kind of attack this from three, three different angles. Um, we are trying to understand what the market for transit is in Lawrence, um, what the current services are doing today, and then also what's on people's minds. Um, so what, what does the market say? What are the numbers saying? What do the people say? And um, we've already gotten pretty deep into the market analysis. I'll be talking about that in a second. Then we'll be doing the service analysis uh, next. And the outreach is what this is all about. You know, when we talk to stakeholders, including all of you, we get a lot of insights that we wouldn't get from the other two pieces. The other two are very technical analyses, you know, numbers crunching. And then the outreach from uh, talking to, to stakeholders is really where we get a lot of um, uh, concepts and ideas that we otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't get. So we'll start with the market analysis. Um, when we talk about the market, we mean kind of the underlying environment that Lawrence Transit and KU um, on wheels have to have to operate in. So when when we look at the market, one of the first things we look at is density. So density is the number of people or the number of jobs per acre. And the more density there is in a community, the more potential there is for transit to do well, um, especially fixed route transit services to do well. So on this map, it's color-coded based on density of people and jobs. So areas that are yellow have kind of the what we would like to see as the minimum, minimum density to support transit service. So that's um, at least or more than five people or jobs per acre. So you, you can kind of see on this map already that um, the footprint of the transit system, that's these, the, the routes are shown in black lines. The footprint of the transit system, at least at first glance, looks about right. There's There are some gaps, but most of the areas of Lawrence that have the density to support fixed route transit service do have some degree of service. Um, some of the gaps that we do see, though, are like north of 6th Street, this, this area here, uh, to the west of Iowa, there's a big swath of area that, you know, appears to have the density to support fixed route service, but it's um, not very well served currently. Um, you could say the same maybe about Harvard, the Harvard Road area. Yes, there's service to the north and to the south, but no service um, along a fairly large swath um, of this part of the city that does have the density to support fixed route transit service. And, the, and of course, um, in the west of Wakarusa and, and north of 6th, uh, both north and south of 6th, really, where you're seeing uh, new developments, um, those areas don't yet have the density of fixed route transit service that other areas in the city do. Um, maybe that's fine. Maybe fixed route is not the way to go in those areas, but it's something we will be examining further. Um, so that's transit potential. The other thing we look at is called transit need. 
So transit need is looking specific, not just the population overall, but specific population groups that tend to use transit more than the general population. So we're trying to see where there are concentrations of zero vehicle households, persons with disabilities, low-income households, youth and young adult, and older populations. Um, Those uh, folks tend to have a higher need for transit service. And then ideally, the transit need and the transit potential, which we just talked about, the, ideally those will overlap quite well because if they do overlap, it means that you know that there's a need for transit service and you know that you have the characteristics, the density, the land use, things like that to support that the fixed route transit service. Because sometimes you'll have a situation where you'll have elevated transit need, but you just don't have the density for fixed route service to really work. That, that tends to be the case, let's say in a more rural area where maybe you'll have a mobile home park where you have this like little pocket of need, but it's such a low density area that fixed route service really may not work out there. So that's the kind of example of where the, those two don't work together. But, um, but here again, you see that a lot of the need that we're identifying the heaviest need is in the central core of Lawrence, where you do have um, the, the most um, fixed route transit service available. So um, at first glance, we'll be looking at this further, but at first glance, it looks like the um, footprint of the service uh, overlaps quite well with where, where the need is, um, with some, some exceptions where there might be opportunities to expand service going forward. All right, so that's, that's a little bit about the market that we're looking at. We're also going to be looking at the service in a lot of detail. We'll be looking at the ridership um, at the stop level and by trip to really identify um, times of the day maybe where services do on every route where service may be doing better or worse. Um, and then uh, n- not only times a day, but also along a route. I-, I like to say that every route has at least some, um, qual- uh, some redeeming qualities, even if a route is not doing well, it usually has at least some stops or some segments that are. So when we look at ridership by stop, we can identify, you know, for any given route, segments of the route that may be doing better and segments that may be doing worse. And then we can tie that back to the market analysis and make, you know, tweaks to the service if if we see opportunities to um, improve ridership potential by rerouting uh, a route in a different way. Um, Productivity, what productivity is, is kind of a return on investment. So when we look at ridership per hour or ridership per trip, it's, you know, it lets us understand how much do you have to invest, how many hours of service do you have to invest in a particular route to get the ridership that you are getting. Um, And if it takes a lot of resources to get, you know, moderate ridership or low ridership, then it's worth asking if those resources maybe should be reinvested elsewhere. Um, or maybe if the service should be, uh, maybe a different mode should be considered. Maybe fixed route isn't always the best uh, option for some areas. On-time performance, that's key because that helps us understand the reliability of the service. Um, All of you know that uh, passengers who get the sense that the service is not reliable will not become regular riders unless they're very, very transit dependent. So we wanna ensure that the service um, is reliable. It has strong on-time performance. Um, And the network connectivity. So that's, we'll be looking at where there are connection opportunities, if they're well-timed, 
and if they are, you know, in close proximity to facilitate uh, transfers between different services, both between, you know, Lawrence routes or University of Kansas routes, but also in some cases to inner city services. Um, Can people get to the K-10 connector? Can people get to other services that they may be trying to get to? Does it work, you know, from a geographic standpoint? Does it work from a time standpoint? And then lastly, environmental justice, um, you know, that's important. It's a, it's a goal of the Lawrence Strategic Plan to ensure that um, environmental justice is being considered. So as we make changes, we, we have kind of at the top of mind, um, who are we impacting with these changes? Um, we don't want to negatively impact anybody really, but particularly we don't want to impact any sensitive uh, groups that may be very transit dependent. Um, so so we'll, we'll have that in mind as well as we develop recommendations. All right, so new service types that we'll be looking at. Um, so as I mentioned, microtransit and uh, ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft are kind of some of these new technologies. With ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft, what some systems are doing is starting to integrate them in a few different ways. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of um, sort of cross-promotion. So if you, for example, in some communities open an Uber or Lyft app, you'll see transit shown as an option, as an alternative option, and it'll give you the price comparison and the time travel uh, comparison, and then vice versa. In some communities, if you open a transit app, you will also see Uber and Lyft as an option. So people know uh, right off the bat what their options are and what the implications are in terms of cost and travel time. There's also some systems take it a step further and they actually subsidize some, some Uber and Lyft trips. Um, in some cases, it's only done by time of day, like late night trips uh, on Uber and Lyft are sometimes subsidized when there is no uh, fixed route transit option available. Um, sometimes it's done geographically. So if you are in an area that's like sort of an outlying area and fixed route transit doesn't serve that area, um, potentially a transit system might consider subsidizing some trips for that first last mile connection to get you to and from the existing transit service. So we'll be looking at those possibilities. We'll also be looking at a technology that's called microtransit. So microtransit it sort of resembles Uber and Lyft, but it uses dedicated vehicles. So it uses transit-specific vehicles, either cutaway buses or maybe vans in some cases. Um, and it uses a set um, pool of drivers as well. So uh, with Uber and Lyft, you never quite know who or what you're going to get. With microtransit, it's much more integrated into a transit system. It's often branded um, in the same way as the transit service is branded. Um, and, and so this is something that a lot of systems are turning to in areas where fixed route transit has proven not to be very effective, um, either because of densities or in some cases by, by time of day. So that's something we'll be looking at also. Can I add something to the microtransit piece of that for us? Yeah. So just for the group, um, I mean, our nightline service that we have overnight is almost microtransit. If it had an on-demand app, like if people could schedule those rides in real time rather than the call ahead scheduling, it would essentially be microtransit. So just to give you a picture of kind of what that might look like for us, I think that's a could be a clear first step. It could, um, you could essentially, and under that circumstance, you consider the whole city limits of Lawrence, the zone that it would operate in. But if we did it other times of day, um, you know, we could make those zones smaller. We could take portions of West Lawrence or north of town and we say that type of thing. Exists. We also used to have what were uh, flex route services. 
so they people would call and schedule and it would be a bus that would roam in the area for that amount of time but they were downtown downtown for a time point and that was pretty much their only time point right yeah that's those are all really good points um a lot transit systems have been doing on-demand service forever. They've been doing, you know, like dial rides. They, they've had different different names. What's different now is that the technology has sort of caught up to to this, and now um, transit systems are able to make this, you know, essentially real time service. So you can dispatch the vehicle directly from an app. You can see where the vehicle is as it's approaching you. So it takes out a lot of the, um, you know, barriers, I guess, to to the old model, which is, you know, they the previous model required a lot of advanced um, scheduling um, and you didn't quite know where the vehicle was and so on but the technology really has, has transformed these as a as a, a new tool that is really appealing to a lot of folks so we'll be looking at that okay uh, any questions about the service or the market analysis before we get into stakeholder questions okay all right, so um, regarding the uh, stakeholder outreach, so we do have a, a survey, maybe you guys have already heard about it. We have an, uh, a survey on the Lawrence Listens platform that people can get to from the Lawrence Transit website. Um, this survey has been live uh, for more than a month now because we wanted to make sure that uh, KU students and staff get a chance to uh, you know, hear about it, learn about it, and participate before they leave for the, for the summer. But it'll continue to uh, be up on the platform through the end of this month and maybe a little bit into July. Right now we have July 1st, but if the response rate is, is high, maybe we'll keep it up for another extra week. But this stakeholder um, survey allows us to understand who's using the service, how they're using it, and then also pose a number of questions, a number of trade-off questions. So when we're doing transit planning, it's there's always difficult trade-offs that have to be made because transit systems have to work within a budget and it's usually a you know a tight budget a finite budget and so when you're making decisions on redesigning a service it can go one way or the other um, but it's sometimes difficult to do both you know two two things you know two both things um, so what we have in the survey is a series of trade-off questions and I'd, I'd like to go through those questions with you guys so you understand what they're about, why we're asking them. And then maybe we could have a discussion about your views on some of these things. Um, and if somebody, if you run into somebody that is taking the survey, maybe on the bus or they are about to take the survey, maybe you can uh, serve as a, as, as a resource for them and helping them understand why some of these questions are being asked. So the first trade-off question in the survey is asking about the trade-off between longer hours and more frequent service. So the tr transit service today, at least Lawrence Transit Service today, is, is currently available from 6 to 8, uh, Mondays through Saturdays, and the frequency on most routes is every 30 or 60 minutes. Obviously, that's different for some KU routes, but this is the, the Lawrence Transit um, service characteristics. So we're asking people if they had to choose, would they prefer longer service hours, um, for example, extending to 10 p.m. on weekdays, or more frequent bus service? So let's say service every 15 minutes on, on some routes. Um, so th they can also choose a, you know, no preference or, or, or they're not sure, um, but that's the first trade-off question. That doesn't mean that we're only going to do you know, one or the other, and there, there may be some routes where we propose one, other routes where we propose the other, but we just are trying to get a sense of people's priorities um, as we move into the um, phase of developing recommendations. 
So any questions or comments on this from you guys on this trade-off? Does the trade-off make sense to you? Okay. Yeah, I would like us to pause at each of these. And if you guys have feelings one way or the other, that's kind of where a lot of the tough choices will be made. So interested in your thoughts as we go through these. Really one resonates more than the other one does. Okay. So the next trade-off that we're presenting to folks is the question of Sunday service or adding Sunday service versus improving existing service. Um, we, so Lawrence Transit doesn't currently provide Sunday service, as you know, um, and then within the current budget, adding Sunday service would require reduction, a reduction of service somewhere else. It might be on weekdays, it might be on Saturdays. So we're asking people if they had to choose, would they prefer adding Sunday service, which could result in that reduction I mentioned, or focusing on improving weekday and Saturday service for the time being. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard you know, people requesting Sunday service along uh, in, in your time as, as drivers, but any thoughts on this? Are you talking on Sunday being a full fixed route system versus say a, like what Nightline is, a few pair of buses going around and getting people? Because that would make a difference. Well, it's a good good question, and um, it could look a you know a variety of different ways. It could be a very limited service, but in your in your view, do you think it would be wise to start with a more demand response approach on Sundays, or uh, what's what's your take? So, for me personally, I would see starting out with a demand service, maybe having uh, four or five flex zones or having it set up as a nightline service where it's a call and order rise just to see what a demand is before going to a full fixed route system. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because that way you get an idea, is there actually as much demand as people are saying there is, or is it just the most vocal element saying we want this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good thought. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Okay. Um, so then we'll move on to the next trade-off. So we're asking people if they prefer more frequent bus stops or faster travel times. So this refers to um, the fact that bus stops are currently placed about every two blocks on, on most routes. Um, but the more bus stops there are along a route, the more likely a passenger is to have a stop that's fairly close to their destination. So if bus stops are placed further apart, um, you know, buses probably could travel faster, but the trade-off there is that they would you know, this, people may have to walk a bit further to get to, to the bus stop or from the bus stop to their final destination if the bus stops are, are placed further apart. So the trade-off we're asking people is more bus stops along a route for shorter walk distances or fewer bus stops for faster travel times. Any thoughts from your perspective? I really don't hear people complaining about that very much. We get a few complaint calls on occasion. Uh, on Parkway, there's plenty. Mm -hmm. I, true. I get them on. I get them for the sixth sometime. What but are the, the comments that you hear? Um, I had a gentleman complaining that his daughter had to walk too far to catch the sixth, just because it's in that area up near LMH Health West, where you know there's not. There's just the one bus going out there. There is a lot of development out there, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of new apartments and whatnot. And he and I talked about what we could do to get her where she needed to be. 
But my question is, if you're increasing bus routes, you were talking about having 15 minute intervals on each bus by, as a possibility. So is that being included as part of this question? Well, those are two, those are kind of two separate things because one is uh, talking about the frequency of trips and the other is a frequency of stops. So um, both of those are things where we will consider and both of those have implications on, you know, on the budget and, and on on-time performance and things like that. But in this particular question, we're talking about where you do have a route already in place. Um, are there routes that need more frequent stops? Or conversely, are there routes where you find yourself stopping too frequently and, the, and really um, the pedestrian environment is good enough that people could probably walk an extra block and that could actually speed up your, your runtime um, and allow you to be uh, on time you know, to, to the end of the line more uh, consistently. Are there any routes where you feel like the frequency of stops is weighing on your ability to stay on time? Not really. It's all time of day. Yeah. Well, if, if you're in an urban environment and there, there are a bunch of different intersections and people can take shortcuts to get to their stop, there could be all sorts of things like that. That's way different than if someone is along a, a vast stretch of road that, that goes, <laughs> for instance, Clinton Parkway from Wakarusa to Iowa is probably two miles, mm -hmm. no less. And, and there may be, for the routes that run it, there may be three stops. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a big interval between stops. Yep. That's a really good point. Uh, when we say that stops are placed approximately every two blocks, you're absolutely right that the size of blocks changes. The further out you go, the longer those blocks are. So having stops even every block may be fine in that environment, whereas closer in you, where you have shorter, smaller blocks, maybe you could have stops every three blocks and it's, and it's also fine. So it's, it's really a matter of what the pedestrian environment is like. Um, and, uh, also just your, your schedules for, for the, for the routes, um, and whether you're being, whether you feel like you have any issues with on-time performance. Um, do we make a distinction between stops that have shelters and the ones that don't? It's a really good point. I, I, I happen to live across the street from a place where human beings suffer in bad weather. You know, the, the one with the shelter, they can choose to walk to. And some of them don't because they've decided the distance is too far and the weather's not that bad. Yep. But no, that ideally, they ought to all at least have benches, even if they don't have overhead shelters. And right now they don't. Mm-hmm. It's a great point. And obviously when you have fewer stop, if, if you, if let's say we were to identify some places where there was a stop every block, but we could consolidate three stops into one or three stops into two, when you do consolidate stops, you put yourself in a position to be able to invest um, more heavily in each stop because you have fewer, fewer stops out there and you sort of consolidate your, your resources. And where you do have stops, that's where you can invest in shelters and benches and, and, and so on. Uh, so there's an argument to be made to say, let's have fewer stops, but better stops. 
you know, let, let's have fewer stops, but stops with shelters, stops with passenger information and, and the like. Um, but the counter argument to that is, well, be, can people get to those stops? Is the pedestrian environment supportive to allow people to walk that extra block or, or two blocks? And it's probably a case by case basis. So some stop, some routes and some segments of routes um, may allow for stop consolidation and, and others not. So, but I'm, I'm hearing from you guys, it doesn't sound like there's any routes that's, that you have on, um, on your mind that you feel like you're having a hard time with on-time performance because there's just too many stops. Is, is that accurate? I'm not that's not great. We have, we have routes that have problems with on-time performance. In my opinion, somebody could get out the data and say you're wrong, mm -hmm. but it isn't, it isn't primarily because of the number of stops. Okay. It's because of other things. Okay. And if someone is crossing a 45 mile an hour street, they can't possibly do it without going to an intersection that has a light and a crosswalk, especially an older person or a young person. It's, it's too facet traffic, for instance, on Clinton Parkway. Iowa Street, that's, that's a different issue. We don't really have many stops there, although I wish that we did north of 23rd street mm -hmm. so there's just different issues okay good good insight all right I let's have, do oh, sorry. i know we can stay on this for a little bit but i might just add a couple things that might be helpful um one of them is in the last last couple of uh, safety meetings i've been able to come out to i've heard from a number of people about places where we do have like too much distance between stops and i've been able to add some i think at good strategic locations where it makes sense where our spacing was just too far. So um, keep those insights and information coming towards us so we can improve that. Um, but also from the other side, from the citizen or passenger side, we pretty frequently get requests for new stops that are not always with an eye on this type of issue where people will ask for something new that really is 400 feet away from something we already have. And it goes exactly to what, what Boris was mentioning. We do have, um, We've got a budget that we're investing more heavily into bus stop amenities, um, mm -hmm. and you'll see a, a lot improve this summer. Um, but each new stop we add, you know, we have to think about what well, we'd like to improve that at least to a certain degree. So it, there's a limit or a balance there, I guess. In, in that case, with the one that's already 400 feet away, does it make sense to uproot that one and just decide that you put it 400 feet in the wrong direction to begin with? And then you're not adding a stop, you're just changing the location of one that apparently wasn't in exactly the right spot for Mr. Jones. Right. I mean, moving a stop is always an option. We have to weigh, when we get comments like that, we have to weigh the gravity of one person's comment and decide, mm. do we think that's reasonable or should we ask Mr. Jones? Like, we, we understand, but please. Well, in some cases, you can probably identify stops where everybody finds it inconvenient. It just happens to be the least inconvenient. So, but this comes up a lot for us as staff. There's constantly people saying, like, I'd rather have one right outside my house. I don't want to walk. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's move on to a related but slightly different question. And that is um, we're asking people if they prefer more service coverage or more service frequency. So, the way that service is today, Buses currently operate both on major streets, such as Iowa and 6th Street, and in some cases along smaller neighborhood and residential streets. So 
the benefit of serving neighborhood streets is that it provides closer access for, for riders. Um, but if you were to keep buses, bus service on only the major streets, that could allow for more frequent service because you're rather than, you know, sort of stretching your, yourself thin, you could invest all your resources in a few key corridors and have much more frequent service along those key corridors. So the question that we're asking riders and everybody else is, if you had to choose, would you prefer buses running more frequently, but on fewer streets or buses running on more streets, but with less frequent service on any given street? And I know it's a tough one to choose, but uh, I'm curious your thoughts on that one. The advantage of running through the neighborhood and residential areas is because Lawrence is growing so much, a lot of those eventually are going to turn into major thoroughfares. Um, it allows for greater expansion in the future. And it also allows for the bus stop issue of people coming to find the buses. It, we have more advantage of getting people, I would think, and staying in the residential areas than if you just stick to just major thoroughfares. And again, because Lawrence is expanding so rapidly, whether that's good or bad, that's debatable. Um, those major streets are shifting over time. Yeah. And if you stay in the residential areas, you might eventually wind up on a major thoroughfare. So you don't feel like there's any places in the system now where you just ask yourself, like, what are we doing here? Why, why do we have a bus down this street? It's too, too small, too narrow, just isn't appropriate. There aren't any of those. Where is that? I, I couldn't hear that. I actually, I actually have a different uh, perspective on this issue, it, at least from what I can tell how it's been uh, framed. I think that it's a mistake personally to make routes that only serve the perimeter and only only the major thoroughfares, because I think that creates a division in the community. When you have buses, it can be messed up. If you have buses that, that operate beautifully in a neighborhood, then they become part of the neighborhood. If you have buses that operate, they drive too fast, you know, it's not a good and good situation and, you know, kids are, wanting to play and everything, that's a different situation. But if they're run well, and I think that the 11 runs pretty well through the neighborhoods it does, then it becomes part of the community. The more the bus service is separate from the community, the more it'll be just like everybody west of Iowa. Man, they do not like the buses like the people east of Iowa, okay? Mm -hmm. Because they're not part of it. Mm -hmm. the but for one thing they've all got they've all got uh, very good cars most people don't need the buses like they need them in the in the city central core but the point is is that if, if we make the buses part of the community that's that's gold but if you if you just have them running around the perimeter you just have them running on the high speed roads then there will always be this this separation between the people that like buses and people that don't. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, good thoughts. Um, before before you started speaking, somebody did throw out an example. I thought I heard, but I couldn't tell what they said about a place where they thought bus service was not 
a good fit. Some some road that they thought it wasn't a good fit. Ridgecourt on Route 11. Ridgecourt, okay. So what we said. Yeah, so just uh, for us for your guys' team, just east of Iowa, um, around 25th, 27th Street, that okay. area. It's parallel. See, I. I disagree with that. The road's parallel with Iowa. And, uh, I think that it. I think that it's. It, it, the road has been uh, rebuilt. I think that the route. It's part of the neighborhood. I think that people very much enjoy not having to get on and off the bus on Iowa. But but I have a different perspective of that. I think that that route is actually a mature, good, integrated route for this small city. What about seven going down Lawrence Avenue? Before we get off Ridge, let me ask a question about that. Would would your perspective be different if there was no parking on one side of that street? Yeah. It'd be better. Yeah. It's yeah. tight right now. Yeah. Because of the way that they can park, especially yeah. on the corners where our buses are turning. We have a mm-hmm. house on the 24th right on Ridge that they're about to park wherever they want. Yeah. And it really restricts our bus on how they can maneuver. And I do agree, and maybe these guys don't know about it, but I do agree with the idea that at 25th and Ridge Court, we, we have our bus stop there instead of right in front of somebody's house right. where it was before. That was a good change. That was a good change. It was good for the neighborhood, but it still stayed in the neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's totally fine to have um, completely contradictory views. Um, we expect that, and you know that's why we encourage as many people to take the survey as possible because the more participation we get, the more we sort of start to see a trend. You know, we, we've already had um, somewhere around 375 people take the survey. And so as they're answering these preference trade-off questions, we kind of start seeing what the priorities and preferences are. So that's, that's totally fine. The next, um, the next trade-off is asking about improving existing service versus serving new areas. Um, so the current transit service does serve most key corridors and destinations in, in Lawrence, but but there still are some gaps. Um, for example, there's little or no service north and west of 6th and, and Iowa Street um, or west of Wakarusa, as I, as I showed earlier. So the trade-off question here is what people um, first per- prefer to improve service schedules and reliability of existing areas or to expand service to new areas. And um, I'm curious what you guys think. When you expand West, Walker Wilson, you're talking about like a hospital? I think it's pretty open. I mean, I think there are some areas, I think West of Walker Wilson is an area we don't serve. Kind of mentioned that area we've done that we've tried to flex in before of Peterson Road, north, um, north sixth and west of uh, Iowa. For some stops, it could be like what we do with the five now. The five now stages at uh, what's that? Amore. Instead of going all the way around the corner to maximum, some things like that can be convenient for some of these stops. Yeah, yeah. that we don't serve this this minimum amount of passengers. Using or time of day could could help guide some decisions. Okay. There's there's a political thing too. I mean, talking about this neighborhood issue, if those areas can't drive any value from transit service because they don't get it, they're more or less automatically against us in any future developments because it's irrelevant to them. 
you know, until some of their kids are using a bus to go downtown or some such. We're just annoying. That's a really good point. I think it's a really good point. It, it, that's a an element of the you know the earlier just discussion we were having about microtransit service or things like that. That also ties into exactly what you're saying. There are neighborhoods where they see you know forty foot buses as as just really inappropriate for their for their communities, but they may be more open to a different service model, a different service design, more of an on demand model, more of a um, real time you know app based. Uh, type of service, so that that is part of the calculus as well. How do we um, expand the appeal of transit service? Um, and it's always a push and pull. Like you, you know, if you put in a bus into a neighborhood, some people will love it, other people will push back. So then you know you can consider other service models. So I think that's well, you, you bring up a good point. Well, and there's okay. So there, I think we need to look at where the clusters of people are out there. I mean, mm-hmm. I I would see that it would make sense to run a van to every apartment complex and there's a big Catholic school out there and, you know, figure out where you may have somebody, you know, who for whatever reason has had their little driver's license revoked or doesn't want to park downtown or something like that. Or, you know, they're going to put a 10 year old on the bus and send them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously in, in certain parts of that community, they're trying to figure out where to put the fourth car. We're probably not a service they're looking for. Right. But right. but they don't control the whole ground and their kids aren't part of that until they have a car of their own. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we're aiming at 14-year-olds and people who are not wanting to take a car downtown, where would we meet them conveniently? situation yeah. yeah or it could be like a micro transit like a kid line thing where like you know that maybe in these neighborhoods they don't want the big long bus but maybe uh more something where the kids you know savvy on their phones could book a book a smaller bus to come pick them up type of thing right yeah exactly yeah okay yeah so let me jump to this next one because i'm really curious uh, on your views on this one um so you you probably have heard that there's been discussion about uh, you know going fare free for all riders um in lawrence so the choice that we're asking people is you know whether they would like to maintain the existing fares um so one dollar for most rides uh if they you know, if you maintain existing fares, you can also maintain at least current service levels. On the other hand, if you eliminate fares, that could result in reducing, having to reduce some service, um, either service frequency or service span in terms of hours of service you're able to provide because you you reduce the funding that's coming into the the system. So um, do you guys have any thoughts on on the idea of a fully fare-free system? Can you give us an idea of how much reduction in service that would mean? Um, we don't have that yet. We, we haven't. Rough ideas, Boris. Um, we, so under a non-pandemic year, yeah. our fares have been approaching half a million dollars, okay. 400, 450,000. Yeah. Um, and some of the uh, early like costing per route, that's about a route's worth of service. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not you would 
eliminate a route or just reduce some frequency on multiple routes or like or set a span of span of the day. But that's roughly okay. What well, the the how, how do you figure factor in the jump in ridership? That's another because yeah. because the numbers will not stay the same. If you go fare free, it becomes much more convenient for both the driver and the passenger. It actually stops being an economic issue at all. Potentially you have posh people doing it just to avoid parking. It's, I mean, I know almost every tourist district in major cities, they have fare free. So drunk posh people can get on a bus and go to the next drunkness. Fine, whatever. And you have some routes that are free and some routes that aren't? You could, I mean, you, you could. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of this discussion, you said pre-prem that pandemic, we had approximately three million passengers. In relationship to the fare that you you got, we received, was that beneficial? Uh, well, you know, relationship to three million people, you're talking about a half a million dollars. Hmm. So some of those three million so that, that money that revenue what does it contribute to? That's really I, what now. Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's it's something we're, we're modeling out that question um, in terms of what the impact is of having a fare versus not having a fare. Right. When people ride fare, some of the three some of the riders that you know existed pre-pandemic some of those were students many of those were students um they already have the perception of a fair free environment even though it's not really fair free because it comes out of student fees and, and and the like but they have the perception of a fair free service and their ridership patterns kind of reflect that um but the other thing to remember is that fares only cover a fraction of the operating cost of uh, Lawrence Transit and any any transit system, really. Uh, so there's a lot of different contributing, uh, there's a lot of different sources that contribute to the funding of a, of a transit system. Fares are just one. So it's not that, you know, the system lives and dies on fares alone, but some routes may live and die if, if you know, the fare goes away because there would be that much less revenue and some cuts would have to be made. So... It's a, it's not a simple answer, I guess is is what I'm trying to say. It, it there's um, a lot of factors to, to consider, but I'm curious overall your your view on on fares, whether there's even like a is it like a principled kind of question? Do you like some people you know out of principle say there should be some fare you know regardless of how much of the operating cost it covers, there just should be a fare. Um, and others have the opposite view. So just wondering if you guys have a, a, a position on that. I think it should be a fair. I think that there shouldn't be a fair on a Route 11. I think Route 11 is a money maker. I think Walmart makes bank on that route and downtown does too. I think these routes that are, that are going to places that are doing a lot of business, I think that, that those costs should be made up in some other way. Mm. Um, there are some routes that are more commercial than others. Some routes that, that clearly there's business going on. And I don't know whether or not you get it out of Walmart. I don't know if you get it out of the downtown merchants association. I don't, I don't know what you would do. I don't know even know if you'd need to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, good time. Is that if, just if you kept the existing service alone and, and you come with no fare, then where do you compensate getting that half a million dollars? Yeah, right. But you want to keep the existing service. That's, you that's can't cut right? You I mean, can't cut it right off and keep the existing service. So you gotta go to a funding agency of some sort or to, right, to compensate for that million dollars. Even though it's a minute amount of money, it is still a half million dollars. Okay, but, but are we determined? Let's asking. let's say that we had the six route and the eleven route, and those were the only two routes that were that were free because they pay for themselves. There's a lot of people that are going to do business. Are we determined not to have any advertising on the buses? So uh, there has been a couple times before I arrived that advertising on buses. Have been yeah, I, I was here when um, I was in school. To be honest, the economics on that are not great. It's, that's, not a, that's not a great moneymaker. Okay. Um, as far as building relationships with businesses and that sort of thing to help you know, they get benefits from those riders. So could we have them help support the route? That, that I think would be a tough yeah, one road to hoe. I mean, I think um, I, it's just a lot of, that'd be a, a lot of work. And I think it's probably optimistic to think we can get to a place where we can get buy-in from downtown merchants or Walmart or any kind of even, even on an express version of those routes that really just went from one shopping district to another. I can, I can just give you one example from my experience working down the road in Topeka. We did a, a South Topeka kind of direct round yeah, big businesses right. down there yeah. and spent two years trying to work with okay. Mars and FedEx. And All right. it, it's a thing that can be done. It's a, well, it's a big They don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see what uh, the riders say because this is, again, this is a question that um, we've already had more than 370 responses to. So we'll see. How, how people come down on this question, but um, that's uh, that. That just in a nutshell kind of gives you a sense of these trade-off questions that we're asking folks, um, and hopefully um, it, they're fairly clear. and And we'll see what comes of that. So the next um, series of questions, we're actually going to uh, Rebecca and I are going to trade our screen sharing. So Rebecca is going to share her screen and we have a series of questions we're going to ask you that are a bit more broad than these. And um, we'd just like to get your take on it. So Rebecca, do you want to start sharing your screen? Yep. Okay. So when that comes up, um, let's see. all right. So the first question is, really broad. Um, what do you think the Lawrence Transit and KU on Wheels are doing well in the community? What what value are they bringing to, to the communities? Boris, you can see my screen all good? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Nightline. Any, Nightline service? Okay. Safe ride, Paratransit. Paratransit is a big one. What was that? Paratransit. Transit. Paratransit. Can we include charters? Yeah. Charters. Charter services. And I think safe ride is essential as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anything else that the two systems are doing well, do you think? 
All right. Uh, well, we can come back to that. You can keep thinking about those ideas. The next question is, um, how could Lawrence Transit or KU on Wheels serve the community better? These shopping centers that we just explored uh, a few minutes ago, they're open on holidays and we don't, we don't uh, uh, provide holiday service. Like this 4th of July, we're going to be shut down. No comment. Are you volunteering to, to come in on the fourth? <laughs> well, I'm already working on the fourth. I'm, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure that you've had a number of requests for Sunday Sunday service. Bus service. I'm not saying that it's something that I'd want to volunteer for, but I prefer the holiday over Sunday. Yeah, okay. Any other thoughts on uh, ways to improve service? All right, we can keep that. Hire better looking drivers. Hire better looking drivers. Okay, that'll go to the very top of the list. Okay, the next one we have is, uh, do passengers have the tools that they need to understand and use the system, uh, both of the systems? Uh, when we talk about the tools, we're talking about things like trip planning, uh, real-time data, stop level information, maps, schedules, all, the, all those elements. Do, do passengers have what they need to understand? Yes and no. Yeah, but a lot of them don't have access to the app. Yeah. A lot of them look ready to and a lot of them don't understand the guide to ride. Yeah, because that is the most frequent questions I get on the phone is, right is I, I get this, I have this book, I don't know how to read it. Yes. Everywhere from and Franklin Street to Kansas. So, so simplify the guide to ride? Half of my phone calls are people asking me, how do I get where I need to get? Yeah. And I sit there and I plan out their trip for them. I get that a lot downtown. Most of them don't even have the book, honestly. They're just calling to get information. Um, a lot of them don't have access to technology. No. Um, and even when they do, I, I've mucked about with the trip planner in the past, and it's, it's a bit sketchy, um, to be honest. Um, the interface is very difficult to use. And so it's a lot easier for people to call us and say, hey, how am I getting there on Philly? And I'll say, what time do you need to be there by? So you need to catch this bus, transfer to this bus, and that'll get you there by this time. Um, and then you're divorced. Yeah. And you're just, you're a guide they don't know how to read. They don't understand it at all. The, the thing that I've noticed is that, is that there are lots of people that want to go to a place that other people have gone. For instance, they want to go from downtown to South Walmart, or they want to go to downtown to the Walmart on 6th Street. We don't really have something where we where we have it just written out or specific point or mapped out where, oh, yeah. where we could just say, okay, do this, you know, and hand them. Or give them a QR code and say, this is this is the way you go. You could go either on the 7 route or the 11 route if you want to go to Walmart. 
you could do this or that, but we don't, we keep answering the same questions over and over again when, when there are probably 40% of our passengers want to go to three different places. Well, that is one thing that the guide to ride has that is actually very useful is that there's a page that tells you which routes that you take to buy your passes to get to the places where you can buy your passes. If you were to do the same thing for yeah. your points of interest, yeah, points of interest, it would be so much easier. It'll be on the back. No, it's it's on the inside. It lists the routes. Yeah, it says serve points of interest. Yeah, so right here, if you want to go to the Dillon store on twenty third, it's route five or eleven. Yeah, it will tell you. I think there's that is what we have for that. Yeah, and that's very right. difficult for a lot of people to. It's a lot of information in a small amount of space. Sure. And you get anybody with any sort of learning disability, they're screwed. I've done that a lot. Okay, so maybe some uh, even signage at at key stops that if you want to go to Walmart or if you want to go to uh, what I don't know KU or something that the this is how to do it. Okay. Well, some routes, some routes, that's. That's kind of their nickname. This is the Walmart route. Yeah. And so if, if people start to um, find out the routes that already have a nickname, that already say this is the route that goes there, and then work off of that, work backwards instead of trying to trying to figure out what figure out what they've already figured out, so that we don't so we can have either a QR code or we can have a page in the next guide to ride or something like that. That just says, okay, this is this is our route uh, that goes that goes to Walmart. This is our route that goes. Yep. Yeah. It's the route behind Walmart to Walmart. Walmart to Walmart. That's all they know it as. Yeah, it's it's the Walmart bus. It goes from Walmart to Walmart. That one too. Yeah. Walmart to Walmart. The other one. Yep. It is. I mean, I've heard so many passengers say that online. Okay. So Which is why that one really should have expanded service because it's, it's, it's not enough because there are people who are trying to do that where they're going from one Walmart to the other to try to find something. They don't have time to wait. That's a lot of our upset passengers. Yes, it is. Okay. Very good feedback. Um, be a bit of a confusing head sign if it said Walmart slash Walmart. <laughs> Little more right. <laughs> okay, so next question. Um, thinking about the passenger environment, do Lawrence Transit and KU on Wheels uh, provide an inviting passenger environment? So that might be at the stop, that might be on the vehicles, it could be um, at you know tran transfer hubs. Although, well, you don't really have an enclosed one yet, but generally speaking, is it is it an inviting environment for passengers? I think our degree of professionalism and how passengers are treated as in our customer service is what drives that to me. And some occasionally you do get feedback from passengers, how they enjoy the ride and they appreciate drivers, the customer service. And I think that's that drives that more than anything, in my opinion. I think KU Wheels on Wheels is much better at being inviting. Please forgive me. They have much. They have much better equipment. A lot of the city buses are, for lack of a better term, and again, please forgive me, a bit junky. Mm. Um, 
Okay. This is a fair environment. Yeah. It's a safe place. It's a safe place. Um, I think that if you really wanted to make it more of an inviting, we would really need to upgrade a lot of our equipment on the city side. KU is very good about getting new buses pretty frequently, whereas the city, again, I'm sorry, not as frequently. And a lot of our equipment on the city side is one trip away from death, honestly. There are a number of those buses I would love to donate to a coral reconstruction. <laughs> you just might be better. <laughs> You're on the Shelters have improved recently. Shelters have improved, yes. Yeah. The okay. shelters have improved. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know we're kind of getting tight on time, so we'll we'll move move along. But the next question is: um, What are the top changes that Lawrence Transit or K on Wheels could make to encourage transit use? We've already heard a lot of ideas thrown out there, but if you had to prioritize. You know, one thing or maybe one or two things, what, what is it that could really make a difference? And that either could make a difference for people who ride now, but not as frequently as they could, or for people who just haven't considered transit for them in the past. Is there anything that we could do to, to change that perception? I would say increased service, yeah. because if I want to get to somewhere, a lot of times I'm, I'm better off driving because I'm getting on the bus. I can't get to where I need one to go. Because time wise or no, there's, no there's a lot of no. places we don't connect with. Yeah. Well, I I actually think that a lot of people have a hard time understanding our service. Yeah. But that's only because I've interacted enough with people that are that have a hard time. Maybe they're they're not that literate or they've got some other issue. And if we could just make things um, under more understandable and then we could communicate that simplicity I think mm -hmm. that it's I think it's fairly complex right now and I I'm and, and I I wish that it were were simpler when you say complex are you referring to the routes themselves sort of the route structure the network or are you talking about the um, ride, rider guide or the what do you mean complex? What's complex about it? it? I think that, that it's hard for some people, especially maybe people that either have uh, a learning deficit or that are new to town to understand um, a simple way to go and the contingency that would allow them not to wait so long or use it as a contingency for another reason for instance, I, I said before that if you want to go to Walmart in the south part of town from downtown, those people that know that they can take either the 7 or the 11, they're not so angry that the 11 only comes once in a blue moon. 
See? Because they got multiple options. Because they've got options. They've got they've got different ways that they can accomplish their their tasks. Okay. So focus on simplicity um, all across the board. Simplicity and contingency. Okay. Got it. I, I'm curious how many people in Lawrence have never for any reason ridden the bus. And what what do we do to eliminate that barrier, even if it's you know, free ride Tuesdays or free ride Saturday or or international, you know, Thank bus you operator driving. day or something. I mean, just something to get an SUV mama and her kids on the bus just to do a complete lap and come back to the spot where they got it on in the first place. Well, that can backfire. What, <laughs> you get no, they can be sitting right next to some grifter on well, a seven route, that's true. <laughs> it's just it's just done forever. They will never go back on a bus. Yeah. So I mean, the real there. So maybe it's it has more to do with shuttles to sports events and things like that. Or I just think you need to see what people what people like. Yeah. Some people like to shop. Some people like to go to sporting events. Yeah. That's why I said the charters are are great for the people. They usually have more money. They like to go to sporting events. They like to be with each other. Yeah. We need to just be, we need to just serve people in the way that they want to be served. And some people don't want to be served. You know, That's right. Some, bus, some people don't. My, my mother, my mother would Seven. never ride a bus. Never. Because buses are for poor people. And she's not a rich person. All right. Well, those are great comments. Um, we have one last question. Um, are there other communities that you feel really get transit right and could serve as a model for Lawrence? Things that you might have seen visiting other places that you thought, wow, that's really, really cool. We should do that. Well, it wouldn't be under the bus system technically, but uh, Kansas City and the light rail, getting on at Union Station and being able to travel to the market within a few minutes. And that is an actual free service as well that you don't even have to pay. You just get on and you go. They're kept extremely clean. They're so easy to use. So you're saying because it's an express? Yeah, it's and it's really nice because you have a place where you can park, get on, and you can go pretty much to all of the high points in the city within a matter of about half an hour. But it's also a light rail, so it's going faster than a bus would go. Yeah. But but the real issue is it's from point A to point B. B. Yeah, yeah. It, you could duplicate it with a bus, but it'd be a little more difficult. Well, they're going to supposedly do it at the new hub, but in Vegas, where we got off the plane, there was a first transit employee standing outside directing people you need to go here, go that way. It was a quick reference guide, I guess. Yeah, the I guess we're going to have a booth at the hub with somebody for like an information booth. Yeah, so we programmed a customer service person at the new transfer hub. So when that goes in, we'll have a customer service window and employee there. That worked very well in Vegas. Okay, that's a good one. Okay, anything else? Well, Den Denver has a pretty good service depending on, you know, and it's a first transit uh, operation. So, I mean, there are lots of operations around the country. It's just that this town is not that big, but we have a bigger bus service than the town is. And, and because the town is geographically fairly large, actually, for 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. 
I know it's a bit of a technology uh, investment. I would like to see something like an Oyster card like they have in London, where you mm -hmm. can put on $50 onto the card as opposed to like a 10 punch pass or a monthly pass. Mm -hmm. you, just, you just tap it and you go. But that's what they have in Topeka. Yes. We have, um, we got mobile fair payments probably coming in a couple right. of months. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're never good that. They have a system in Topeka service right. like that, but it's, I mean, you, you can have your pass and how much of money's on it, but it's a swipe. But if you like with any electronics, you can get a glitch in it and then you stuck there at a bus stop for five minutes trying to reprogram the system to get somebody to what's our policy. Our policy is right now we don't have that. If you get a glitch, or if somebody's flawed, I don't have a dollar. Yeah, get on. We don't. Yeah. So do they think over there they count every person on a bus? Yeah. And it's the bus comes right by my house. Is there any temptation to have a daily service to KCI? Is there's some? There's certainly interest for it. There's um, some jurisdictional problems. We can't operate that service because we're confined to the city limits or close okay. to it based on our charter. Um, the university, of course, can run charter service, but they like, have a clear mission to make it work for students. They don't necessarily care about the general public at large for that type of service. So it's a, you know regional type things like that. I'm certainly interested in how we do that. We would just have to figure out how we functionally do it with yeah. something based on our where we're able to serve. KCATA could do it, but we'd have to coordinate with them on, is it important to them? Could we help fund it? Similar how we help fund the key sector. Right. Um, so there, there's things where we wouldn't have to operate that service. We could still try to help make it happen if that rose to the top of it. Great. I questions about the Nightline, which I, I you know, I've read it written it in a while, but it's a fantastic service. But there were like a couple of wonky things where you know you had to call in to book the rides and then also like I had been riding it for at least six months before I realized there's like a subscription for you know like where you can just be on a you know so there's there's not really no no there is a subscription <laughs> service um but there are requirements someone has to ride for at least a month without any violations right before we can start requesting it um one of the things that we're running against in the para system is that we're only allowed to have a certain amount of um subscriptions i got you i got you within a certain time frame um there there are limits to it if and honestly, Nightline originated as a pilot program that never actually got stopped <laughs> or expanded. If it were expanded, we could totally expand the subscriptions, but. I think it needs to be expanded. It does well, need to be expanded. Yes. We're struggling right now, especially our private pocket plan. I mean, we're getting oh. hammered and we can't keep up. We're the, late. You know, we're getting all set passengers. The eight o'clock hour and the five o'clock hour. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, that's when you get an angry person that, is that can't get to work on time. So that's what I mean. They, they're, they're going to work on home. Yeah. I think you'd probably have to what add two more drivers. Easy peasy. Yeah. And it would basically eliminate that time. Because mm -hmm. right now we have how many subscriptions are we roughly running at five o'clock in the morning? Uh, that would, I, I'm trying to think. Yeah. 
Um, I have at least three or four active subscriptions in the five o'clock hour. There's others in other times. Um, but again, we are only allowed to have a certain percentage for these subscription rides. Because right. we're only running two buses. Yeah. Are those are those cutaway? Are those cutaway vehicles you're using for yeah. that for that service? Yes, they are. They're they're peristyle cutaways. Okay. Um, kind of what we used to use in the flex zone when the three was a flex zone and when the two was a flex zone, we would use those vehicles. Okay. And did you ask? Did you ask whether or not um, we had transfer issues with the? It's called now the ride. Uh, the, it used to be the Joe, but the Kansas City bus that comes to Lawrence. Um, because on campus, we have real difficulty. Okay, and describe the difficulty. Well, especially when they're doing construction, which they have to do in the summers because school, in, in, during the school year, they have to keep all the roads open. Um, there are reroutes, and then often the people that run the other service decide that they will not come onto campus, at least not to the same area. There's not enough coordination. Apparently, students or other people, staff that want to go home or they want to go to Johnson County, they don't even know where to pick up the bus. So, so for instance, if you know where the stop is by the parking garage, on Irving Hill and Naismith, and it's all being beat up, and someone is really, they're just stuck. There's nothing more frustrating for that person than to feel like, what do I do? Where do I go? Or abandoned. Yeah, they feel abandoned. I see. Um, do you do you guys get notified when the Kansas City service or Johnson County service changes at stop or or schedule or anything like that is there some liaison and honestly i wish we had more coordination with them like yeah. the 15 catching them out at peasley it would be so nice if we could plan at least sync our time points so i'll say a couple things on that issue so we do yeah. have we, we heard about the time point issue where um we think we have aligned our schedules for that although neither of us has a layover there so it has to be pretty perfect I've got a call into them right now to talk about how we, if there's a way for us to get radio traffic together or something to help people make their transfers. Um, Cause I know it's been an ongoing issue for a long time. Um, the other piece is that as part of the uh, transit facility development at Bob Billings and Crestline, they'll have a bus bay there. So that will be the, one of the connection points um, where uh, there will be no kind of information. They could just go right yeah, there. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so that'll be one way we try that'll, to make that work a little better. And we still, you know, it still will be bad if someone gets abandoned. But if they do, they'll at least be next to our facility. They <laughs> <have> an <laughs> our They're not sitting on a closed <laughs> campus. So we'll, we, we got a lot of work to do, but um, we're trying to work to make that improved. Okay. Um, that's, yeah, great, great insight from from all of you on all these topics. So thank you very much for all that. Um, we, we're doing these, a whole series of meetings like this. Um, we have another meeting with operators today um, at two o'clock. And then we also have a general public meeting uh, tomorrow, tomorrow evening at six. Um, and we're meeting with other key stakeholders, um, employers, uh, various commu community groups. So um, if you, hear anyone 
talking about this project and asking how they can get involved, just let them know they can either attend a meeting this week or they can uh, participate in the survey online. And please do encourage um, you know anyone who you think may have interest in participating in that survey to, to do so, so that we can get a really representative sample. So um, I think that's all I have. If, if there's any other questions, um, I'll stay on for a minute or two, but otherwise, thank you very much for all your input. And I got rolled out, so I gotta run. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your concern. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Adam, I, are we, no more questions? Yeah, we'll sign off here. Thank you for us. Okay, we'll see you in a little bit. Bye. Thank you.